0: If you've got momentum, for example, in wage growth, and say wage growth right now, it's, it's around 5%, it, it isn't going to drop back to 2% next month. So that's really why the Fed is concerned, because they don't want elevated wage growth keeping inflation higher. And that's a concern because right now the labor market is so tight.
1: You're listening to IBKR Podcasts. Find more conversations at ibkrpodcasts.com. Please remember, any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's
2: episode. Now, welcome to our show. Welcome to IBKR Podcast. This is Andrew Wilkinson. In this week's edition, we really wanted to drill down into the topic of inflation, or otherwise often referred to as the cost of living. In particular, what we wanted to do was to put some things under the microscope and learn more about its impact on consumers. With me is my colleague, Jeff Praisman. Welcome, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm doing
3: well. Thank you, Andrew.
2: Jeff, can, can you say whether you've noticed the impact on your family wallet over the past couple of years in terms of this ravaging inflation we've lived through?
3: I, I've absolutely noticed the, uh, the impact and probably the two biggest places, I'd say, are food and gas. Um, it's easily costing me, I would say, 10 to $15 more to fill up my gas tank than mm. it did a few years ago. And I just feel like food across the board is definitely going up, whether you're eating out at a restaurant or whether you're going to the supermarket or, you know, a big um, bulk place like Costco. I feel like everything has gone up um, basically with all items.
2: Yeah, it's it, it's it's been tough for a lot of people. Joining us today, um, we've got back Nasdaq's U.S. economist Michael Normile. Welcome, Michael. How are you? Doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me. You're very welcome back. Uh, let Let's start, Michael, then, with some definition here. How does inflation affect the consumer?
0: Well, I think the most uh, direct way to put it is that it affects spending power. And so, in periods of low, stable inflation, it's not actually that much of an issue. Uh, because oftentimes wage growth will be in line with or even higher than inflation. So people will have a positive real wage growth in that uh, situation. But in periods where we're seeing now, you've got really high inflation, which erodes your, your spending power. Uh, and then also the flip side is deflation, where prices are falling. And that can be problematic, too, because you might see people holding off on spending, waiting for their spending power to increase And that's bad for the economy in the sense that people are spending less.
2: Uh, And that's been a big problem over decades in the Japanese economy.
0: Right. right? Exactly.
3: Michael, how are you? It's good to see you again. One term we hear about a lot of news is the Consumer Price Index or the CPI. Could you explain to our listeners what exactly is the CPI and also what is meant by a basket of goods?
0: Sure. So... The Consumer Price Index, it's a measure of inflation uh, created by the Bureau of Labor Statistics, which is the one of the government agencies that we have in the us. that puts out all sorts of economic statistics. And so the version that you hear about in the news is CPIU, which is a measure of prices paid by urban consumers for a basket of goods and services. And so a basket of goods and services, it's something that changes over time to reflect what people are actually buying. And they have different weights to also reflect the relative importance of what people spend their money on. So like housing has a bigger weight than food or or whatnot because you're going to spend more of your income on housing than on food, for example. And so it's it's very broad and at a high level, you'll see things like food, energy, shelter, cars, but it also gets very, very granular. So they'll have a CPI for apples, one for bananas, they'll have regular gasoline, premium gasoline. So it gets very uh, in depth. And you
3: provided us with a great chart, which we're gonna include in our study notes, basically charting out the contributions to the annual CPI inflation. But could you kind of go through, You know, I, I talked a little bit earlier about food and gas on my own wallet, but could you kind of go through and how inflation affected the price of everyday goods and maybe some more examples of the goods that have changed and how does that machi- that change materialize and what you know what what it kind of the fallback on the consumer from that
0: you know what happens with inflation really depends on what you're looking at. So certain things like commodities can see their prices increase or decrease very quickly. And so that's why food and energy are excluded from the quote-unquote core inflation, which you'll also hear reported. One of those things, energy, a lot of that has to do with gasoline. So if you think ahead of the pandemic, if you look at where gasoline was, the the inflation was 12% year over year. But a few months later, with everyone stuck at home, people aren't driving, demand for gasoline plummeted. So it actually fell to negative 34% year over year. Then again, as things started to normalize, we had vaccines rolling out, demand came back. There was a separate supply issue where during the pandemic, a lot of refining capacity was shut down. So there was both an increase in demand and a reduction in supply. So that pushed gasoline inflation up to 56% by mid-2021. Then you know, at the start of 2022, you had the war in Ukraine, which again, created concerns about supply. And so gas reached all the way to 60% year-over-year inflation. But as all that stuff has kind of worked its way out, it's now back down to negative 12% year-over-year. And then another big category uh, is food inflation. So if you look at food away from home, for example, food is really divided into two categories. It's food at home, which is more groceries, and food away from home, which is essentially dining. And so for dining out, that's you've got a mix of commodity prices for the food, and then wages for staff and so dining out inflation is up to nine percent year-over-year which is the highest it's been since the early 1980s and a lot of that is because during the pandemic and in the recovery a lot of the labor shortages have been in the leisure and hospitality sector which is where restaurants are and so that's led to higher wage growth pushing up inflation in that category another example was within the broader kind of goods category you look at vehicles and so we've seen a lot of mixed drivers of inflation there Early on in the pandemic, people got their stimulus checks. There was increased demand for cars at the same time that there was a lack of semiconductors available, so that reduced the supply of vehicles. So that created a bit of a perfect storm for car prices. And then at the same time, it allowed car dealers to take an opportunity to boost their margins to historic levels. And so this is something that has been a bit of a topic of discussion lately, which is quote-unquote greedflation, where businesses have been using All the different myriad reasons for inflation going up to increase their prices and and increase them more than inflation. Getting back to cars, in the decade prior to the pandemic, new car inflation was essentially plus or minus 1% in that range. And so it jumped to 13% year over year in early 2022. And at the same time, if you look at the producer price index for trade services for new car dealers, which is essentially a fancy way to say margins for new car dealers, that rose to 33% year over year. It had never been above 9% prior to that. That's a big issue, which you've seen with cars, where it's demand and supply meeting and pushing car prices up to levels that we really haven't seen in a long time. And then another issue that's been kind of front of mind is rent. Prior to the pandemic, rent was usually about 3 to 4%. Currently, it's 9% year over year. And that's built over the last couple of years because you've got home prices rising, rates rising as the feds increased increased rates. And so that makes the monthly cost of You know, getting a mortgage higher so that pushes potential buyers out of the housing market, keeps them renters, and then increases demand for rentals, increasing rental inflation.
2: So now, Michael, you talked about the urban basket, the the consumer price index for, for, for the urban consumer. What I'm interested in is how inflation affects people at different levels of income. Can you talk a little bit about how the ordinary family is affected at different levels? So let, let's take, for example, the median household income, which is about seventy-eight thousand dollars. Those may be on one hundred and twenty-five thousand. Those on three hundred thousand, for example. And and what about the impact of inflation on those who have? a fixed income. And what about those paying a mortgage compared to those who rent? Uh,
0: Starting with the median household income. And like you said, that's in the 70,000s range. And again, that's for the household, not for an individual. And so for people with these median or even lower incomes, the areas that are especially impactful for them are food, energy and shelter. And so...
2: Because that takes up a lot of their disposable income. Exactly.
0: It can be 50% or more if you're talking about lower income quintiles. Uh, that just those three categories. And if you're looking really at the extreme low end, you might see that energy is a little bit less of an issue because you might not own a car. So gas prices are not impacting you as much, but still food and shelter, of course, are going to be a really big Mm. aspect of your spending. And so actually when you shift to middle-income homes, maybe lower middle-income homes, that's where you start to get squeezed by energy perhaps a bit more if you own a car and gas inflation is becoming a problem for you. But as you move up the income ladder, higher income, people tend to spend more on things like cars and recreation, clothing and travel. So those categories will be come, you know, pay attention more to inflation there. And then if you go up to, say, people earning $300,000 or households earning $300,000 a year, infl- inflation starts to impact you less in the sense of your ability to afford things day to day. But then you might become more concerned about if you can get a real positive return on your savings and investment. Mm-hmm. But for people on fixed income, you know, that's a lot of people on Social Security, you're going to be looking for your cost of living adjustment um, at the beginning of the year, which is kind of catching up to inflation from the previous year. But you might be in the same bucket where you're looking at food, energy, housing, um, depending on you know, what exact uh, income level you're at and getting to people who are renters versus having a mortgage. Really the difference is for mortgages you're looking at typically a long term fixed cost and so you might refinance it to reduce your your monthly payment but for renters you're much more vulnerable to what's going on in the the rental rental market and particularly inflation so it's it's more challenging certainly for renters where you're you might get a lease renewal that it's gone up ten percent or something but if you're on a fixed rate mortgage you' you know your payment's going to stay the same month to month
3: you know owning a home versus renting it, it kind of sounds like it, inflation's not really good or bad for homeowners, at least in, in, at least in terms of a monthly payment. But it sounds like it could be really bad for those running if that's going to continue to go up.
0: Yeah, I think if you, want, if, if you want to get kind of nerdy about it, you could argue that inflation can be, you know, within reason, positive for a homeowner, right? If your mortgage rate is low, and you look at your mortgage rate minus the inflation rate, then your real quote-unquote rate could be very low or negative. In a sense, you can be paying back your house with money that's you know, worth less than you, uh, you know, when you got your mortgage. But a lot of people don't think about things in that term. So, you know, for day-to-day purposes, your people on a mortgage, they're more like more or less looking at their fixed monthly cost, right, uh, in nominal terms. And if you're trying to buy a house or sell a house, for example, really what matters is affordability, and so that's a mix of inflation, income growth, and interest rates. So inflation plays a role. But again, if income growth is keeping pace, then that's kind of mitigated. But right now, if you look at it, even with high inflation, a lot of the problem is that mortgage rates are, have gone up so much. And that's keeping the supply of homes low because you don't want to give up a 3% mortgage rate if you, you know, were, going, were to sell your home and have to move someplace else on top of the, those higher rates, pricing some people out of the, the housing market as well.
2: And let's let's wrap up, Michael. With a, we'll turn to talking about policy and the Federal Reserve. The, the the Fed seems obsessed with one specific price index. They they look at core services, excluding housing, sometimes referred to as super core. What what is that? Why is it currently their top priority? Is it because it's easiest to fix, or because it will rectify itself over time? What's going on? Well, it's
0: definitely not easiest to fix. Uh, so that's a big part of their concern is that it's actually one of the hardest things to fix because this type of inflation is often called sticky. You know, it's a term used when it comes to inflation. So something like core services, X housing, that's services, excluding, you know, food related services, energy related services, and then housing. And so that pretty much leaves stuff that's mostly driven by wages. And so wage growth is something that doesn't typically ramp up or ramp down quickly, unlike commodities, like I spoke about earlier. And so if you've got momentum, for example, in wage growth, and say wage growth right now, it's, it's around 5%, it, it isn't going to drop back to 2% next month. So that's really why the Fed is concerned, because they don't want elevated wage growth keeping inflation higher. And that's a concern, because right now the labor market is so tight, only a tight labor market, where there's more labor demand than supply. That's kind of a recipe for higher wage growth. And so part of the Fed's goal explicitly has been to increase rates, to cool the labor market, to bring wage inflation down, and eventually, that should translate into lower supercore inflation. And in the last month or two, we've finally seen a little bit of progress there where the uh, wage-driven inflation aspects have come down a
2: bit. Michael Normile, US economist with the NASDAQ. Thank you very much for joining us today. Jeff Braisman, always a pleasure having you in the room making these podcasts.
3: Oh, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's great seeing uh, Michael again. and. Uh...
0: Thanks. Appreciate it.
2: And folks, don't forget to check out IBKRCampus.com for all your financial education needs and for more podcasts like this one. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, please do leave us a review wherever you download your podcasts from. Thanks for listening to IBKR Podcasts.
1: As always, we have more episodes at IBKRPodcasts.com. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit IBKR.com. We offer more trading education materials, such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, financial and economic commentary at tradersinsight.news, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and is necessary, see professional advice.